Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Dear God, our hearts are broken for this world. The hatred is palpable, the division undeniable, and the pain runs deep. We desperately need more of you. We ask for your truth to be louder than the noise which surrounds us, for your mercy to be stronger than the voices of oppression, for your strength to overpower those who seek to do harm. Where there is division, bring unity. Where there is anger, bring peace. Where there is evil, bring victory. Empower us to fulfill your mission, to answer your calling, to be the light you've created us to be. May your love, your grace, and your mercy flood this world. We love you. We seek you. We place our hope in the mighty name of Jesus. This we pray. Good morning, brethren. Last week we talked about discipleship. We looked at what Jesus said in terms of discipleship and the importance of discipleship. Today we will continue by looking at what Jesus had to say about the heart of a disciple. Too many people, unfortunately, live an external religion, but without the heart. And it is important, in fact, it is vital for us to understand what Jesus had to say about it. I'm sure that you have noticed and you have seen it too. Sometimes we see that in in going to church, maybe with a gym bag, looking forward to getting out of services because we have to work out and, or, or go fishing or other things like that. Individuals pretending to care, but only too eager to lash out at anyone who disagrees with them. Just look at the social media lately during the past year and you see the mess that has been caused. And promoted by Christians. People going to church to find out what the latest gossip is and pretending to be righteous while judging everyone else. My wife and I have heard from a number of pastors around this country that find that to be a major problem in their congregations. There are others who pretend to serve Perhaps we all have been guilty of this from time to time. Pretending to serve, but only to feel good about ourselves. <sighs> Looking at other churches, maybe with envy, jealousy, because they seem to prosper more than we do. The, the bottom line of what I'm trying to say is that the, the body may be there and may even be looking good and devoted but the heart is somewhere else. Sometimes we can notice in our own prayers. The, I'm talking about those prayers that we offer when we're half asleep, 
or perhaps distracted. The body is there, we do the action, we, we go through the motions, but the heart may not be there. And that is exactly the situation that Jesus addressed with the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were criticizing the disciples because they, the disciples were eating without the traditional ceremonial washing of their hands. It was a, a, a fairly complex way of washing their hands. And, and that was a tradition <clears throat> that was established among the Jews, especially the Pharisees, because to them, holiness was a matter of cleansing from any possible impurity they may have come in contact with in, in a marketplace in this particular case. But is holiness truly a matter of cleaning hands? You see, they followed tradition, thinking that that was what was required of them, but their heart, their heart was not inclined toward God. So let's look at what Jesus said to them in that set of circumstances. We'll find that in Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 14. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. He continued and explained it further in verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Now the point is made pretty clear here. It is not the potential physical impurities that defi defile a person. Any such impurities, Jesus said, are eliminated by the body. However, what defiles a person, and in fact, what defines a person, is what comes out of a heart. And Jesus here lists some of these states of the heart, and you may have noticed that he paints an important picture here, a picture that we really need to understand. Let's look at it again in verse, verses 21 to 23. From within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these, things, these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. I think we really need to understand this, because this is not just a list of words. Jesus painted a picture here, a picture of the heart, and he wanted us to know that, to recognize it, and make sure that we understand it, because that is something that we are called to avoid, to come out of. It is not the heart that the Holy Spirit is creating and nurturing in us. It is the heart of those who fall in the trap of appearances and 
they do so without finding that connection, that fellowship, that communion that we're called to have with God. So what I would like to do is to go through these terms and not just look at them as a, as a quick list to go through it, to read quickly through it, but to really grasp the meaning of what Jesus was talking about and how the heart is the source of all that and, and therefore how important it is for us to nurture it, to cultivate it properly and to go along with the Holy Spirit that is in the process of changing us, changing our hearts. So Jesus here in this list starts with the term evil thoughts. Evil thoughts in the Greek is dialogismos kakos. Dialogismos is not just a passing thought, but it's what we tell ourselves. When we, when we think it's almost like we are having a conversation or, or we're talking to ourselves, and what comes out of that conversation is what we're talking about here. It is a clearly formulated thought. Um, it can mean a decision too, something that comes from us. We, we ponder, we, we think it through, we decide it, and, and that's the thought that comes out. It can mean opinion, a motive, a reasoning or a direction of thinking. And it can indicate a purpose or an intention. In other words, it's a deliberated thought or reasoning, the result of our mental activity. So right there, I would like to point that the nature of this thinking is intentional and deliberate. And it's morally worthless, bad, wicked, or vicious. So a definition could be a clearly formulated thought, motive, opinion, or reasoning that is morally bad, worthless, wicked, or vicious. What defiles us then is what we cultivate in our heart, what we cultivate in our thoughts. What kind of thoughts do we plant in our hearts and what kind of thoughts do we encourage and, and water so that they can grow? The next term that Jesus mentions is fornications and then later adulteries. The two are related. In fornications, the Greek is porneia. Adulteries is moiheia. Fornication, porneia, refers to actually any sexual thing or lewdness and has a, a very clear connotation of idolatry in the Bible and impurity. Adultery is actually very similar to that. And, and in fact, the meaning of that term is included in the concept of fornication, the concept of porneia, but it's more specific by pointing out that at least one person involved in that is married. Now, you may have recognized the Greek porneia, because it's the same term from which we derive the word porno or pornography in our modern language. And what I'd like to point out about this is that as Jesus placed it in this context, that is something that comes out of the heart of men, it is clear that this behavior doesn't just happen to us. 
Rather, it is a result of that intentional thinking that Jesus was talking about just before that. The kind of deliberate thinking that we just mentioned. And that's confirmed by Proverbs 7, for example, and other passages in scriptures that clearly illustrate that this behavior is a culmination, the, the end result of various thoughts that are entertained and cherished by the individual. In other words, it is a matter of the heart first and foremost. And what is wrong with these actions is primarily from the heart. And then the heart, the, the corruption of a heart, then translates into sin. Next, Jesus mentioned thefts. Thefts, they actually, the meaning is fairly straightforward. The Greek is klope. That comes from another Greek that word that perhaps you're familiar with is klepto, from which we draw the, the English word kleptomania. It means to simply to steal. It is the act of stealing. But stealing is also a matter that stems from the heart. It starts with a desire to take something. In fact, it starts oftentimes with the assumption that I want that, I deserve it, and I need it more, or deserve it more than the other person does, so I'm going to, just going to take it and take it for myself. So it starts with a desire, a desire to take something, the thought is welcome, entertained, a plan is formed and formulated, maybe I can do it this way or that way, and, and that can be very quickly in our mind, and then the action of stealing then follows that. The next term that Jesus used was murders. In the Greek is phonos. It simply means murder, slaughter, killing. But as Jesus pointed out, murder is not just a culminating act of taking someone else's life. It starts in the heart of an individual and in, form, in the form of unbridled anger resentment or hostility and hatred against another individual. Remember Jesus mentioned that we have heard to, to not hate, to hate the enemy, to love your neighbor, hate the enemy, but he told us that we have to love even the enemy. He taught us that murder is not just killing someone, but it is also the spirit of the individual who offends and puts down and denigrates and hates somebody else. Offending someone, speaking evil against someone, is already a spirit of murder. The next word that Jesus mentioned was coveting. Coveting in the Greek is pleonexia. It means covetousness, greediness. It indicates the love of wealth or the love of possessions that leads people to hoard away whatever they can, whether it be money or things or objects, possessions. It is a longing of a person who is filled with a desire for material things, a desire to have more, a desire that is never satisfied, actually, because the more we have, the more we wish we had. That too is also often indicated in Scripture as a form of idolatry. 
putting our heart in the pursuit of material things instead of dedicating our heart or orienting our heart toward God. The next term that Jesus uses is wickedness. In the Greek, that is the translation of the term poneria. It is a mental disregard for justice, a, a mental disregard in, in a person's thinking and opinion and decisions and the way of looking at things. It is a disregard for righteousness or truth or honor or any other virtue. It is evil in thought, purpose, and in life. It's an evil disposition, a maliciousness of the individual. And it is distinct from an evil, an evil habit of mind. This wickedness is more intentional, more malicious than just simply the manifestation of a habit. Next, Jesus uses the word deceit. In the Greek, that deceit translates the Greek dolos, which is the intentional misleading or beguiling of another person. It can be used for fraud or guile, evil purposes and desires. And I think it's easy to see how this too comes from the heart, comes from a disposition of the orientation of the heart of an individual. Then the next word is sensuality. That translates the Greek aselgia. And that means lewdness, license, sexual excess, and the absence of restraint. So he's not talking about the, the normal sensuality that a, a married couple may experience with one another, but he's talking about that absence of restraint, the ab that excessive emphasis on, on sexuality. It, it also can indicate the arrogant and insatiable desire for pleasure of an individual. It can be translated with lustfulness, shamelessness, and perversion, and is expressed by not only actions, but also words, filthy words and filthy actions. And I'm afraid that that is all too common and all too popular today. But that too comes from a disposition of a heart. Jesus reminded us that it's out of the abundance of a heart that the individual speaks. And when an individual uses foul language, in, 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 and it does so often, that reflects the state of the heart of that individual. That's the line of thinking of that individual. The next term that Jesus uses to paint this picture is envy. It's, that's a very interesting term. Envy is a simple word in English, but it translates the Greek, the Greek ophthalmos, ophthalmos uh, poneros, which literally means evil eye. So it is in an ethical sense, of course, a diseased eye. An eye that brings turmoil and that works very hard. In fact, the same term is used for Hercules and the the uh, extreme work and the exhausting work that Hercules had to do in classical Greek. So it is an eye that works hard, but in the wrong way, in the wrong direction. 
ever toiling, ever working, but in evil and never finding rest. And what does the eye look for? It looks for what other people have with envy and evil thoughts about others, with that maliciousness that implies that others have maybe succeeded, but they succeeded because of something bad or something wrong. So they have to look for and they have to find something wrong in the others. That is quite evident that comes from the heart as well. Then Jesus used the word slander. That's another interesting term because it, translate, it translates the Greek blasphemia. Blasphemia is a term, the Greek term from which we draw the, our English term blasphemy. But in the Greek, in the usage of it, the, the, uh, in, in the Greek, especially in the New Testament Greek, it, it means defamation, speaking evil of someone else. And it can also mean irreverent talk uh, against God. Blasphemia in Greek means verbal abuse, indicates verbal abuse against someone, a slander, false witness, evil reports. And it can, again, I repeat again, be against people in general, or it can be against God in, in particular, specifically. But that talk that we hear so often, even among Christians, they're talking about evil things about other individuals. That verbal abuse that occurs in families, in homes, in Christians' homes, and toward spouses, elderly, children. The evil reports that are so common in gossip, they all fall in the category of blasphemia. It's just that if we were to use the word the English word blasphemy, it's not blasphemy against God, it's blasphemy against another individual. But sometimes, unfortunately, perhaps in moments of anger or stress or of distress, maybe a number of people also may use it toward God as well or against God as well. Next, Jesus used the word pride. Now, that seems to fit with what was coming before the sensuality, the envy of others and what they have, the slander that is used to put them down, maybe out of that envy or the jealousy. And now the pride that is behind all that is a statement, a state of the heart. Pride translates the Greek uperephania, which means arrogance. Pride, it carries the idea of ungodliness. It is a characteristic of a person with such an inflated view of themselves, their own power, their own importance, that it makes them look down on other people or treat others with insolence and contempt. It is the attitude of heart, the state of the heart of an individual that is capable of saying, you don't know who you're talking to or other phrases of that nature. It is the pride that makes temptations so dangerous. When, when a temptation comes, sometimes we can, we can resist it, but when we think that we need that, 
And when we think that we deserve it because we're better, that the temptation becomes deadly. After pride, Jesus used the term foolishness. That translates the uh, uh, Greek aphrosune. It means mindlessness. Lacking in mind and wisdom, the lack of understanding that makes the mind and the heart of an individual dull. And it seems to be appropriate that he will close this list with that because when we follow that path, when our heart is in, directed in, 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 in those, toward those things, that's really what the outcome is going to be. We're going to be foolish. We're going to think in a foolish way. We're going to act in a foolish way with lack of understanding, with lack of wisdom, making our mind, our hearts dull, and perhaps being not just physically, but spiritually lazy as well. So what defiles us? It's not the lack of rituals, or even some mistake that made in a way we observe some rituals. I remember going for a meal with some friends, and these friends were very particular about some dietary law of the Bible that would follow in a Jewish perspective on the dietary laws. And I remember the Inquisition, they put the, the waiters through to inquire about every single ingredient of a dish they were thinking of requesting to find out, to make sure there was no contact with pork or other meats or other foods that were not quote-unquote allowed because of the ritual observance of clean and unclean, pure and impure. But what if I made a mistake? What if I did not ask so many questions? What if, even though they were assured that no content was made. There was actually a little piece of an unclean meat in there. Is that what defiles us? Or is it the heart that is set in the wrong direction? Maybe the heart of an individual that thinks of himself or herself as being better than others because look at me, I observe these rituals and I'm righteous because of these rituals. That's the pharisaical heart. What makes us defiled is our willingness to adopt a sinful way of thinking. And we can do that by commission, actively thinking or pursuing something that is evil, or by omission, being unwilling to be or do something good. It starts with the heart. And the heart that Jesus talked about ponders evil and sets itself to follow what is wrong or sinful. Maybe because it's popular. Maybe because it seems to be more fun and reality is deadly. It, the, the heart that Jesus was talking about is painted as a heart that is set on seeking pleasure no matter what the cost and is set on being self-serving. It is a heart that will be willing to trample over others in order to achieve or obtain what he lusts after. 
A heart that is never content, however, but always seeks for more than it has. It's almost like an addiction. Once we start in that path, once we start in that road, we want more of it, and we need more, but we will be less and less satisfied. It is a heart that Jesus painted here that disregards morality and righteousness to pursue pleasure, and is envious of others who seem to have obtained that kind of pleasure that they're looking for, or what this, this individual wants, and is willing to destroy the reputation of the other people that, that seem to, or at least in appearance, to have achieved the goal that is desired by, by that heart. Perhaps in retaliation for their apparent success. The heart that Jesus painted is a, is a proud heart, a heart that is puffed up and ends up being quite foolish. And I know, I know that we don't want that heart. And we sing the song, Lord, please change our heart. But to change a heart that is like that, it takes the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we can just do. Get up one morning and say, okay, I'm going to change my heart. I'm going to change completely, radically change the way I'm thinking. And no. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. It takes the indwelling of God in the person of the Holy Spirit in us. It takes for God to renew us through a spiritual birth that brings us in communion with Him and makes us partakers of the divine nature, as Scripture reminds us. He takes then our surrender, not just a few actions or a change of behavior, but our total surrender, a surrender not of this, of that habit, but a surrender of who we are, welcoming then the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. It takes a willingness to participate in who God is and to express the love that God pours out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. It takes our willingness to listen to God and to immerse our hearts in His Word so that we can be renewed daily in His presence. Remember that, that saying of the old days. I remember when, when the computers became personal computers became popular and the the frame of the first phrase j-i-j-o was used all the time junk in junk out it's the same with our heart just like if you put junk in the computer if you program it with junk you get junk out as a result so is with our heart if we cultivate our heart with good things if we soak it in, in God's words, if we Im, Im, immerse it in the Bible and feed our hearts with His Word, then we can be renewed daily. We can be in His presence daily. Brethren, our mind is the most precious gift that God has given us. The Holy Spirit, of course, is the most precious gift. But the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, works in our minds. And it's precious. God wants us to sow good crops in our mind. God wants us to water them, to cultivate them with the presence of the Holy Spirit, with the constant renewal 
renewed presence of his word in us for a daily renewal. So put attention to your heart. Make sure your heart is set in the right direction. Feed it with the word of God on a daily basis. Enter that communion, that conversation, that exchange with God that will transform not just what you do, but who we are. It transforms us at the core. And it, it makes us practically, not just theoretically, but practically children of God. It, it, it grants us the ability to become what we already declare to be in Christ. So take heart. Pay attention to what you feed your heart. Look at the media. Look at the shows, the stories, the gossip, or whatever things we feed our heart. But let's make sure that what we feed to our heart is not sinful. It's not evil. But holy, good thoughts that will please the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and would stimulate that change, that transformation of our hearts so that we can reflect more and more the heart of our very Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fail, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And you won't stop.
May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors.